Live from the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference, this is a special edition of Powering Michigan's Future on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the National Electrical Contractors Association and by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 58. Now, direct from Yankee Rebel Tavern, here's Lloyd Jackson. And good evening. Tonight's edition of Powering Michigan's Future comes to you live from the Yankee Rebel Tavern on Mackinac Island during the 2022 Mackinac Policy Conference. I'm Lloyd Jackson getting you ready for an action-packed hour, including hot topics from the conference and a deep dive into the growing Michigan construction industry. Now, our guests tonight include show sponsors, the National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA, and IBEW Local 58. Guests include Macomb County Executive Mark Hackle, Fifth Third Bank, MCA Detroit, SMACNA Detroit, Michigan Building and Construction Trades Council, MUST, and the the Macomb County Chamber. Stay tuned for WJR's Powering Michigan's Future, live from the 2022 Mackinac Policy Conference, only on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Yankee Rebel Tavern and more Powering Michigan's Future on WJR. Today, Lloyd Jackson is live from the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference. Sponsored by NECA and by the IBEW Local 58. Once again, here's Lloyd. And welcome to Powering Michigan's Future, Mackinac Policy Conference Edition. We're kicking off the show tonight with Macomb County Executive Mark Hackle. It's good to see you again. Lloyd, it's always good to see you. And i got to tell you, that suit is mighty fine. <laughs> Thank Holy you. cow. You know, we're on radio, and, you know, I, I, people used to say, well, Lloyd, why do you dress for radio? That's just how I do. I don't know. i got to try to get the folks to visualize this. I mean, it's like, you know, it's an open-collared white shirt. But, again, uh, what he's got dressed upon it is uh, a plaid, a bluish kind of uh, plaid shirt or uh, suit coat as well as the matching pants. And I love the Argyle socks. Well, I got to have some go. funky socks with it, looking too. good. Listen, what stands out to you so far at the conference? You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the thing that's most uh, interesting, anytime we come to this conference, are what I call the sidewalk uh, meetings or sidewalk conversations. You know, we have the meetings over at the Grand Hotel and all those, you know, scheduled events that take place. But just walking amongst the crowd and the people that are up here, you tend to run across, you know, people from various aspects of whether it's the business or government entities and you engage with conversation and next thing you know you're uh, having those uh, five ten minute conversations to kind of realize you know there's some things we need to work on there's some issues and uh, you're able to kind of at least set some time aside when we get back from the island uh, to make sure that we follow up on those conversations and that's the thing because you know sometimes people say you know you come up here to the island you have the meetings and everything and everybody's talking and everybody's having a kumbaya but when we get back it seems like okay does what happened at the island translate to what's happening back in the region. Yeah, and some people ask that. They say, you know, what did we solve? Is there something that, you know, occurred as a result of it? Well, yeah, I think what we did is we made connections, and we're trying to figure out, okay, when we get back, how do we make, uh, you know, better connections, better conversations about some of these topics that we just bring up briefly? Uh, But there's a commitment, I think, on behalf of people when they have those sidewalk conversations to do just that. So, again, interacting or connecting our staffs to people that are working with the various industries or even governmental entities uh, gives us that ability to uh, figure out how do we solve some problems as opposed to talk about things that divide us, there are opportunities for us to do the things that we need to do with issues that do unite us. And, you know, this is what's good about the conference because, you know, I don't know how many other areas, cities, regions have a conference like this where all of the movers and shakers come together and can really, you know, discuss things in a 
in a uh, structured way, but then also off to the side and have little personal meetings as well. Yes, and again, this sponsored event over here at the Yankee Rebel, I use this for example. I'm looking around the crowd here as you and I are sitting there talking, doing this live broadcast, and there are people from you know Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, St. Clair County, and beyond, uh, all interacting, and people from you know the the business sector, people that are the trades, as well as you know the educational institutions. So these folks are all interacting and mingling and have conversations, and a lot of that conversation is of value. And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, we're talking about you know how do we strengthen the economy? What are we doing about a workforce? You know, so again, I'm watching all this and I'm seeing it play out, and I'm thinking this is the exciting part about the conference uh, beyond just what we have as far as those that are scheduled guests to speak at the events that we see on the list. What are some of your big priorities in Macomb County right now? Yeah, I think we always talk about infrastructure, you know, and again, when we talk about infrastructure, people right away go to roads and bridges, and again, I always say there isn't a road or bridge we can't fix if we find the proper funding and sustainable funding, not just one-time funding, you know, we got a, a, a billion dollars to throw at the problem. There's got to be sustainable funding, so we start figuring out how do we incrementally fix our roads 3 to 5% maybe per year, as opposed to what we're seeing, the deterioration factor is probably about 3 to 5% per year we're getting behind, so... Uh, roads and bridges are always an issue. Working on the underground with our, our public works commissioner, Candace yep. Miller, that's yes. always been something. And she's very, very in tune to that. She working is. on. But as a county, we have responsibilities. And so there's some infrastructure issues that have been neglected. And some of our ARP funding that we're going to be using, the $172 million that Macomb County got, we're working along with our board of commissioners. The chairman, Don Brown, and I have had conversations as well as other commissioners to figure out what are we going to do about the jail. And it's not just about building new bed spaces for the jail. It's about right-sizing the jail. So kind of a, I guess if you will, a break even on the type of bed, or number of beds, but the type of beds to deal with substance abuse and mental health. And that's something that I mental think is, health is really big right now. I mean, it, it it's been big, but it's really had you know more of a of a audience now because of some of the things that have happened across the country. And you're absolutely correct. And again, sometimes you know it's a lot of conversation. People keep talking about it. Macomb County, we're doing something about it. What do I mean by that? My former life in law enforcement, 30 years now, 12 years as county executive. I come to realize there are things we need to do, and most importantly, I think what we need to do is right size the facility. But think about this: people that come in contact with law enforcement are usually the the law enforcement officers, correctional institutions, as well as the health care. But from a, from a law enforcement perspective, a police officer come in contact with somebody, recognize there's an issue, realize they violated the law, has to bring them into some kind of a lockup facility. Mm-hmm. What are we doing with them? And uh, is there somebody there able to make the assessment? Police officers can make an assumption, but that's not their training, nor is it the person working the lockup. So what we're going to be doing is attributing a lot of the money for the brick and mortar, building a facility so that we can now do the programming part of that where when somebody comes in, there's an agreement within the system, do they need to be confined? And if they do, what type of treatment are we providing? But again, I'm one that believes you know, that treatment, uh, you know, uh, confinement should never be a substitute for treatment if possible. So if they're not going to be dangerous society and we are going to figure out can we do something else within the system to find other placement for them, we are going to be doing that in Macomb County with programming and funding that programming moving forward. So, again, having a facility, we're calling it a, a, a central intake, okay. and, uh, that assessment area. To make that determination, what do we got? What's this person issues? And then figure out how do we deal with the treatment side of it. So we're, we're heading down a path I think that uh, others are going to want to follow, uh, not just uh, within the state but probably throughout the country. Because how many you know, people who are in the jail right now really need some medication or come in and then they're right, you know, they come in, they, they're out, then they're right back in again yes. because they're not being serviced 
what their issue, whatever that issue is. And I've also, I often recognize when people say that, you know, sometimes they're not identified to having some kind of a mental health issue or whatever. But I always say no matter who that person is, when they come into a correctional institution or to a jail, they're going to be suffering some kind of a mental issue because that is a devastating thing for somebody, even if they know they committed a crime, to be coming into that institution. So right away something has changed with their mindset. So if they have mental health issues, well, we've got to figure out how to deal with it. But you've got to realize people are going to be depressed coming into that facility, so we need to figure out how do we manage that uh, so they're not going to be a problem while they're with us, but also as we release them back into society, are we doing some things that might be uh, uh, have an ability to change their life? And we want, I want to wrap this up. We don't have much time, but i got to ask you about the, the water and the water infrastructure, the issue you had with Highland Park, with all of that, you know. What's going on with that? Yeah, we're very fortunate. Again, uh, Brian Baker is our appointee on that and uh, working with Candace Miller. We agree there needs to be some kind of a, a direction moving forward, so we did get some support on the governor on this. Uh, we do think the Great Lakes Water Authority is moving forward and some resolution with the courts. So, again, I don't think anybody believes we should continue to pay somebody else's bad debt moving forward. Uh, there's got to be some given that. And so the last you know, 14, 15 years of it, uh, it needed to be addressed, and uh, we're, getting, we're getting there. Wayne County Executive Mark Hackle, uh, before I let you go, uh, is um – County executive, the only job you're looking for? Are you going to be looking uh, maybe something higher down the line? Well, if you're asking if I'm going to be running for something, normally what I tell people, I'm usually running for my life. But the reality is uh, I miss being the sheriff. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't, Tony, Tony Wickersham hates me saying that every time I say it, but I do miss it. Um, we'll see. I, I, I don't close the door on any opportunity, but, you know, I, I enjoy my job as county executive as, as, as it is right now. County executive uh, Mark Hackle, thank you so much. You bet, Good thank to you. see you, brother. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, Jason Head, assistant executive director, National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA, and Janet Bradshaw is political director, IBEW. They're coming up as we continue with Powering Michigan Futures live from the Yankee Rebel Tavern on Mackinac Island on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Yankee Rebel Tavern and more Powering Michigan's Future on WJR. Today, Lloyd Jackson is live from the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference. Sponsored by NECA and by the IBEW Local 58. Once again, here's Lloyd. And welcome back to WJR's Powering Michigan's Future, live from the 2022 Mackinac Policy Conference. With me now, Jason Head, Assistant Executive Director of the National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA, and Jeanette Bradshaw, she's Political Director for IBEW Local 58. It's great to have both of you here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh, yeah. Jason, let me start with you. You know, me and you, we, we go back. So a few months. <laughs> a few months. We go back. But let me start with you. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of conversation about electrical vehicles at the conference and jobs associated with the EV industry. Um, talk, uh, talk to us about NECA and what they're doing uh, to prepare for the expansion of electrical vehicles here in Michigan. Uh, Lloyd, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time to be an electrician and electrical contractor. That's for darn sure. Um, electric vehicles, uh, we've been, we've been uh, training our, our force for about 10 years now in the industry, and uh, we, use, uh, we use a certification called EVITP, but, uh, but our contractors, this is one more certification that we, we require, and, uh, and we're able to, anytime there's a, a special training or a need, we just pivot, and we, we are able to, through our training center, we're able to pivot real fast, and if there's, a, if there's some kind of a certification that's needed or the customer needs some kind of a requirement, just like EV, mm-hmm. um, we'll definitely we'll, we'll go to that need and, and, we'll, and we'll make sure that they're well prepared along with the electricians too. I would think that people are really paying attention to EV because of these gas prices that we're dealing with. And people are saying, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, I need to shift to the electrical vehicle. Yeah, that's for darn sure, right? I mean, it's almost like it can't happen fast enough. 
But uh, we have plenty of electrical contractors that are highly uh, qualified and licensed, and, and electricians rather, that uh, will be able to fill the need. If there's a requirement out there and, uh, and if there's a call for all these cha chargers that are coming online, we'll be more than happy to take care of those for you. Yeah, and that's going to be something, that's going to be a big job to have those uh, lines uh, put in. Jeanette, let me bring you in here. The EV industry in Michigan is going to be big, and how will it create jobs and, you know, jobs with benefits and strong wages? Well, Jason pointed out, we're talking about that certification, the EVIPT. That is, that's in addition to, in the state of Michigan, making sure that EV charging stations are installed by licensed electricians. This is not a new industry. When we look at it as a, in the electrical industry, this is just more electrical work for us. And so if you have, if you have a license in this state, uh, and what it means for IBW, we have over 500 journeymen electricians licensed ready to put these and certified ready to put these chargers in. And so with us, we know uh, with our partnership and our contract that we have uh, that all of our workers are going to have that steady wage, that good benefits, and also retire with dignity in this state. So, um, but that's, in this industry, that's what's important. Licensed certification and that we are being unified in one direction and when we bring in these charging stations and bring in this infrastructure. How will your contractors support the electric fleet vehicles? Oh, I can, I can. You I want to take that, that Jason? Yeah, yeah, Jason? Okay. absolutely. So the electric fleet vehicles, uh, you know, we're already installing chargers for GM and GTE and some other big customers, right? And, uh, and we, we also maintain those chargers, too, for these fleet vehicles. So, so I know recently the city of Detroit mentioned that they're getting uh, or they have some buses in place, and we've already installed some induction chargers for that. So it's just a really great time. And, and again, the contractors are, are well-versed to, to do this kind of technology, this kind of emerging markets. And uh, along with our partners, the IBW, we can handle. The electricians are, are not only uh, licensed, but again, as Jeanette said, we have 500 certified with the EVITP certification to install electric chargers. Jeanette, the solar industry is growing. And uh, how are you preparing the members for the solar energy? And, and, and the, talk about, like, the policies that are needed to support this, I mean, it's relatively new market. Actually, it's funny that you say it's relatively new. Um, Jason and I have been in the industry about the same time. I know he's he got a, he's a couple of years more than I do. But I've been in the industry for over 21 years. Wow, so you guys have been yeah, you know, so concocting we, some we, stuff we in, to, the, we, in the room. But, in the uh, actually, we were joking that we were on the same job before. Um, but, you know, our, our electrical industry training center back in 2001 when I came in, we put over 90 solar panels back in 2001. So this industry has been here. I think we're, what we're talking about is that expansion into residential. But we have large projects. And we have been training our electricians in our program since then. Wow. So when we're talking about regulation and we're talking about the state, it is really vital that we remind everyone that, yes, it looks like a simple application, but you are still dealing with current and voltage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so the other part of that is making sure that that licensing requirement is there. That when you are putting in these big solar, these solar issues, and even when it is on your house, yes. that you want that installed by a licensed electrician because that's coming right into your panel. And then also the other thing that you're talking about is if you are waiting for your new electric vehicle, all of this is all electrical work for us. 
and we in the state of Michigan, you must be licensed, and we shouldn't see any kind of carve-outs for solar because it's already covered under that under our Skill Trades Act, which is where all of our um, all of the like electrical and all the licensing all for all of the skill trades went into one bill a number of years ago. So and and, and you know when you talk about the the solar industry, you know customers who have gotten it on their homes or are thinking about getting it. You know, you need to make sure you're, it's getting done by someone who knows what they are doing, not just somebody who wants to throw some stuff up and say, okay, uh, you know, and, and That's you, right. you know, it's, they need to be licensed because you're still dealing with electricity. Yeah. Exactly. I, there, was a, there was a demonstration, I remember this, uh, at, our, at, our, at our training facility. One of our instructors oh, actually, one. <laughs> one of our instructors took one of our panels, just one panel. Okay. And he had connected it to two electrodes. So what we're basically looking at is when you're making that main connection, he put a hot dog because that is the, the closest thing to human flesh. Yeah. And showed what just one panel could do if it was not installed correctly. Wow. And now you're talking on a, on a, on a, on a residential home or even yeah. I've seen, you know, a lot of I, I know our contractors have been doing a lot of banks. Okay. You know, and just you're talking about that direct current coming in, it's still electrical work. It's still dangerous. So it wasn't even a grilled hot dog. I couldn't even No, it, eat that. it, it was toasted. It was. It, yeah, it blew up. It exploded. Yeah. It just blew up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I want to ask you, because, Jason, let me, let me talk to you about this, because we've talked. We've, I've been at the training centers and everything, and, you know, the apprenticeships. Let's talk about that, because it is so, I've, I've gone through some of those, you know, uh, places. I've actually did some hands-on work it's such a great program what you guys do to train these young people for this great job opportunity yeah we got a we got an outstanding uh second to none apprenticeship program right there in warren um so we have three programs over there we have the traditional five-year program uh and then we also have uh for the limited energy group we have a it's a four-year program and then we have also a residential program but uh collectively um the, the apprentices will apply online There's a, uh, at the uh, EITC.org uh, uh, website. And, uh, and they'll apply online, and they'll do an aptitude test. And then uh, we'll do uh, an interview process, uh, provided that they make it through the interview process. And then if they, if they get so lucky, because we get about 6,000 applicants a year. Wow. Yeah, for about 250 to 275 jobs a, a, a year. And these are careers, right, with, with good wages and good You're benefits. You're being paid while you're training, right? You yeah. do. So if you get it, yes, if you get into the apprenticeship program, uh, you get paid. It's a uh, it's debt-free program. Um, and uh, it, a lot of our uh, apprentices, they give back to the communities. They get involved with community structured-type programs. Um, they go on to be contractors they go on to be uh foremen the stewards uh on the jobs and i mean we just we have so many fingers that go out in, into our industry into different things electrical inspectors are another uh, another avenue political directors are another one right <laughs> yes i'm the assistant executive director is another one i mean but we were all birthed out of that apprenticeship program and that in that training that we received so we're very thankful for that and as we wrap this up you know the young people a lot of times they don't know what they want to do especially when they're in high school and they don't necessarily want to go to college and college is not for everyone go to college that's fine but you can get into one of these apprenticeship programs become debt free at the back end and have a great job with great benefits and great pay and you could travel anywhere yeah. in the world they can never take that license from you and you learn you just you learn so much to be able to provide for your family and, and your loved ones. And it's a great 
organization, and it's a great career. And I do want to make one point. So when we're talking, everyone seems to think when you come into the apprenticeship program, you're like 18 years old. Right. I was 25. And we have to remember that we have a lot of returning veterans coming in. We have returning citizens coming back in and want, you know, they, they we want to be able to provide and come back in the community. And so we want to make sure that we are representing all the communities that we work into. So even when I came in, I'm, I'm just about, I think at this point, I think we're about 400 journeymen inside wiremen that are women. Wow. Yeah. Our sound and communication, that is a huge growing field. And that is a lot, I've seen more women coming into that, into that industry in a number of years. But I came in because I was given a choice. You want to be a plumber or an electrician? I chose the electrician. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason, uh, Jason Head, uh, Assistant Executive Director, National Electrical Contract Association, NECA. Janet Bradshaw is Political Director, IBEW Local 58. I will really appreciate you guys sitting down and spending some time with me tonight. Well, thank so you for thankful. having us thank tonight. Thank you, guys. Yep. So thankful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, uh, uh, it's uh, Kelly Lovati, uh, CEO of the Macomb County Chamber, and Jason Politier, Senior Vice President of Community and Economic Development for Fifth Third Bank. They're going to join me next as we continue here with Powering Michigan's Future, live from the Yankee Rebel Tavern on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Yankee Rebel Tavern and more Powering Michigan's Future on WJR. Today, Lloyd Jackson is live from the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference. Sponsored by NECA and by the IBEW Local 58. Once again, here's Lloyd. And welcome back. We're joined now by Kelly Lovati, who is CEO of the Macomb County Chamber, and Jason Politier, Senior Vice President of Community and Economic Development for Fifth Third Bank. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you well, for now, having I'm setting you up here because, you know, you're, you, the, the county executive was on first, you know, so, <laughs> you, you know, we're going to make sure we, you know, I save, I save the best for last, don't tell. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, so let's begin with you, though, uh, Kelly. Uh, tell us what's happening uh, at the Macomb County Chamber. What, what's resonated with you at the conference? Oh, I, you know, I really um, enjoyed the civility focus this year, the theme. I think it's so important. It really set the stage up for how we as Community leaders really need to set that example, be cha- uh, transparent, uh, value-based, and have good communication about the issues that are, are so apparent in our community now, and, and have those conversations and really get to the root cause of what's going on by being empathetic, by being good listeners, and, and addressing those issues head-on. You know, when, when you have the, the region... You know, you got to work together. It's the same with the with the sheriffs. You know, they work together. It's the same, um, you know, with other different departments in different counties. You work together. Right. So with the chamber, you know, you got big events that are coming we to do. town, and so you guys have to work together. I suspect to make sure we pull these big events off, and you have to be able to work together. Right, and we showed a really good example of that during COVID with the county with our chamber, with some of our sister chambers in the county, really coming together to focus on small businesses and help, how to help them survive during that time. It was really a, a good community 
collaborative effort all the way through. So the, with the next, well, one of the really big um, events coming, uh, the NFL draft is going to be coming, and, you know, it's going to be hotel space. You need the hotels and stuff. So I, I, I got to understand that the, the, the chambers are going to be working together to make sure that goes off well and people have places to stay and work together. Absolutely. And like you said, it's more even not even Macomb County. It's regional. We need to all work together because we can't – no one community can handle all that. You've been doing uh, some advocacy for the defense industry. Talk about the effort and the need to support the defense industry in, in Macomb County. The aerospace and defense is so big in Macomb County and really I'm through Michigan. Um, as the Macomb County Chamber, we're pulling together a delegation to really help share that message. You know, Macomb County in Michigan, we have grit. We work hard, but we're not good at telling our story. We, you know, we don't tell our story. And if we look at just Macomb County alone, we have over 25,000 jobs in the aerospace and defense industry. That's seen a 125% increase over the last 10 years big industry again we're not telling our story but our story isn't just macomb county we have a lot of resources a lot of talent there but as a state we're powerful we're an epicenter that we need to tell the world about and to attract economic development to come here to attract businesses to come here and more importantly about getting missions for our military bases how does that happen how, how do we do that well we're trying to do that we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to tell people you know we're looking for some of those um, dollars we've been working with our legislators to get some dollars earmarked to do that marketing to put that can campaign together we're starting in macomb we're going to reach out to the rest of the state when we look at uh, Day Dayton, Ohio, and um, Huntsville, they go to the, our capital with over 200 people to promote their message about aerospace and defense. I want to be that big. <laughs> That's what I want to see for us. Jason, let me bring you in here. Uh, as Senior Vice President of Community Economic Development uh, for Fifth Third Bank, what have you heard at the conference that's important to the um, bank? Oh, man. it's So, first of all, thank you for having us on the show uh, today. And it probably... Some of the best conversations that I've had at the conference have been the sidebar conversations. I right? hear that the, all the time. Right? The, 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 the kind of organic conversations where you just pull up next to somebody and just really start to get to know one another. Yeah. And the importance of the regional assets that we have here in South, that we have in South, down there in Southeast Michigan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that we have in Southeast Michigan and our ability to really promote those to folks outside of Southeast Michigan is, is have been some of the most uh, critical conversations that I've had at this year's conference. It's really been, I, I, I sat on the porch the other day uh -huh. and I had a conversation with the consulate of Canada and literally that was the conversation talking about how important it is for us to promote us as a region, Detroit, Macomb, Canada as you know, promoting the assets that we all have collectively. Absolutely. When we compete, we're not competing against one another. That's right. We're competing against cities in other states. Yes. Right, across the country. That's right. Right, and so, so it's really important for us to really realize how we show up as a region, not as a city or a county. And, you know, how often do you get to come to a place where you sit down and have that type of conversation? I know, right? You know, that doesn't happen all the time. You're exactly right. And it's one thing to have that structured, uh, you know, conversation, you know, with someone that's already been set up and structured. But it's, you know, you're not the first person who said that. Who, they come here and they have that side 
uh, conversation, and something big happens because of it. I think that's really the power of this conference specifically right there. You know, in, in the, the, other, the, other, the other power in this conference is it is just so good to see everybody back together. It is. It, right? is. It, it, it just it, – I have to say it warms my heart personally – just to be in a room with people again <laughs> and, and able to pl- press the flesh and, you know, give some hugs and, 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 and really just talk about what it is that we're trying to accomplish together, right? Yeah. And I think that the ability to, to like, look in the eyes of, of the, the people that we're trying to work with and, and really feel the spirit that they're coming to the, to the conversation with is really important. And I think this conference is one of the best at doing that. Because you can't do that through Zoom, can you? You cannot do that through Zoom. I've had so many people say to me, man, you're a lot taller in person than you are. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, talk about some of the priorities uh, or some new initiatives that uh, Fifth Third um, has that we should know about tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So at Fifth Third, we're really focused on um, affordable housing economic development, workforce development, and financial empowerment. Uh, And the way that we show up and do that is through financial education in our community. So, And I call it from cradle to grave, right? So (laughs) we go from the babies, preschool, all the way up to senior citizens and helping them to understand financial concepts that, you know, they may not have been, may not not be abreast of, right? Um, And we also, in my department, we manage the community service aspect of the work that we do at Fifth Third Bank. So we actually provide the, the subject matter experts to talk about and, and teach people these financial education concepts, right? But we also manage our philanthropic and our sponsorship dollars in our area, and we're really focused right now on neighborhood financial empowerment. Great. Right? And Great. so around the country, um, at the end of last year, based on the work that we're actually doing in this region, we adopted nine other neighborhoods that we're going to really press hard in and leverage our assets to, to produce those uh, financial empowerment incentives in those neighborhoods. Well, uh, Kelly Lovati, CEO of Macomb County Chamber, Jason Paulatier, Senior Vice President, Community and Economic Development for Fifth Third Bank. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. I wish we had more time, but we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you thank so you, much. Please. All right, thank, thank you. Stay tuned for more Powering Michigan Future live from the Yankee Rebel Tavern here on Mackinac Island on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Yankee Rebel Tavern and more Powering Michigan's Future on WJR. Today, Lloyd Jackson is live from the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference. Sponsored by NECA and by the IBEW Local 58. Once again, here's Lloyd. And welcome back. We continue our conversation tonight around the construction industry. We welcome Laura Kopak, Director of Government Affairs and Community Relations for the Mechanical Contractors Association, MCA Detroit. Also Mark Sabah, Executive Director of the Sheet Metal and Air Conditioning Contractors National Association, SMACNA Detroit. And on the phone with us is Pat Devlin, Secretary-Treasurer of the Michigan Building and Construction Trades. Thank you so much for all being here tonight. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Lloyd. And Laura, let me start with you. Talk a little bit about the uh, about the workforce. Where do you see skilled trades today, or next five years? Well, within the next five years, I really think it's going to grow exponentially because there's been conversations regarding changing the narrative that all kids uh, have to go to college. And basically, when you look at an apprentice, it's a five-year training program 
and uh, a career developer, some, uh, some of the training programs have parallel paths to college that you can get an associate's degree at the same time you're working and learning, and all that is debt-free. And it's a, it's a very uh, intense training that they have, so they do have to have the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm-hmm. So the basics are going to have to be covered by you know, high schools, grade, grade schools. And, and I know at the, at, at, over here in the conversations uh, within the conference, we've talked about kids' you know, uh, education and how we're going to rethink or reimagine education. And that's going to be really important. And once that narrative, I think, shifts, that skilled trades is, you know, another career, um, kids can make anywhere, you know, with overtime, over six figures with benefits. Wow. So some of them, I mean, I'm an attorney by trade. Some of them make more money than lawyers coming out of law school. You know, you know, when you talk about construction, the first thing a lot of times comes to mind, you know, you've got men up there on the – on the uh, scaffolding and on the big cherry pickers and stuff. But are women, you know, uh, considering working the trades? You know, actually, I was just talking to Dennis Aguirre from the Iron Workers, and I asked him the question. I said, how are you doing with, you know, minority representation? Because he's Latino mm-hmm. and, uh, and women. And he says, actually, we've been doing better with women. He says, we have over 50 women in, you know, in their union, in their local Wow. And so he says, we've been killing it with women and in, in entering the trades. So when you look at some of the trades, I mean, women are considering it. And he says, what, what they are very good at is welding. And you need welders in, across in many of the trades. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, exceptional people because you have to be detailed. You have to be patient. They are. And, and most women generally are. Yeah. <laughs> They are. Uh, husbands, watch out. You yeah. know, your, your wife might be a welder. Okay. Um, Pat, let me bring you in here. How are things in the construction industry overall? Uh, well, good night. Uh, good, good evening, Lloyd. We're doing very well. I mean, we're on our third, fourth year of just unbelievable uh, man hours being worked. Um, and some of the um, some of the scheduling we have are very tight. Uh, we seem to be staying uh, on top of that. Uh, our owner community seems to be very happy with, uh, you know, uh, the launches and everything we've been able to do. Our men and women have been able to perform over the last couple of years, and it's, it's a great time in this construction industry. What are you seeing for the rest of the of this year and next? I think we're going to be very strong. Obviously, kind of be holding up. Um, you know, supply chain uh, is uh, a matter of concern for this industry. But I uh, think so far, so good. And uh, mm-hmm. looks like the projection on uh, man hours is going to be very, very healthy. What are, you, what are some of the top priorities for construction skilled trades from your perspective? The number one is the safety um, and welfare of our men and women that come to work every morning and especially with these tight schedules. You know, you have a lot of people packed into some tight places. It's, um, it brings about, uh, you know, uh, uh, a unique awareness of, of safety. And we want to bring our men and women home every night uh, like they went to work in the morning. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's number one priority. The other is uh, the recruitment of great uh, talent into this um, industry for careers. Uh, we, um, 
you know, we're competing with all other industries out there that are suffering the same thing that we are with baby yeah. boomers and retirement and that. So right. that's uh, another thing. And I know Mark's going to talk about it, but it's the overall health um, and welfare of our of our men and women in the construction industry. Mark, let me uh, bring you in. You've spent some time recently, I know, in Lansing advocating for prompt pay legislation. Talk about why that's so important to the construction industry. Well, thank you, Roy, for bringing it up. And, uh, yes, it's very important. Uh, the contractors today deal with high costs for not only material, but for the employees as well. Labor has gone up. Everything goes up. This bill will allow contractors to be paid within 30, do- 30 days of completion. Now, the problem is with uh, some of these uh, contracts, the contractors have to pay the employees not only their pension, but their health insurance and their annuities. If that's not paid, they're fined, and that employee is hurt, in his, whether it's pension or health insurance. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that the contractor does get paid on a timely manner so he can make sure he pays his bills. And so, uh, you know, you were up in Lansing, and you got something done up there? We were in Lansing, and Laura was with me as well, and Pat Devlin, I wanted to uh, um, Thank Pat as well for all the work he does with both the opioid issue that we'll talk about and prompt pay, but um, uh, Cam and the MCA mm-hmm. and Senator Lauer who brought it to the floor. Um, it's been put in front of the Senate, and we're waiting to hear some answers. We had a lot of uh, different uh, industry people there, and hopefully this thing will get some wheels and we'll get it going. You, you brought up opioid uh, addiction, you know, and I know the union construction industry successfully advocated for funding support uh those uh, with opiate addiction in Michigan. To talk about that effort. Yeah, so, Lloyd, 107,000 Americans died of opioid addiction last year. If we go around the room here today, I'm sure we can find three-quarters of the people that have dealt with some of they know that either passed away or are addicted to opioids. Each opioid prescription costs a Taft-Hartley Health Insurance Group $8,000. Oh, boy. A lot of money. So um, I got with Pat Devlin, who did a lot of work on this, and Tim Codd, who's an uh, advocate for opioid addiction and alternatives. And uh, lo and behold, the governor did sign a bill, and this bill is uh, one of the most advanced directives ever passed in the country here in Michigan. So it's a good start. It's a good start. And I know, you know, and, and this addiction, it, you know, it's a horrible addiction, and, and I know it affects other industries as well, but does it affect the construction industry more I'm not going to say more. Again, yeah. this, this is a problem throughout the country. But mm-hmm. think about that. If you're an owner of a construction company and someone does get hurt and there's no alternative but opioids, they get addicted to opioids, they're off work still, aren't they? That's right. And it's costing not only that employer but that Taft-Hartley really more money than they should be paying. There needs to be an alternative to taking that opioid because we're actually, we're actually addicting people to this drug. And if somebody's doing work on a job? And they've taken uh, opioids. That's not that's safety, that's, right? That, that's not safe. This this law this law, and again, uh, we thank uh, our governor. This law will definitely um, give you the option, as well as the hospitals, of saying, "I don't want an opioid. I'll take an alternative." Laura, Pat, Mark, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Powering Michigan's Futures. Good to see you guys again. You thank do you a great job. Us. Thank you. And I want to thank, thank my other Thanks, guests. Lord. Thank you. Thank you as well, Pat. I want to thank my other guests, Macomb County Executive Mark Hackle, Jason Head, Assistant Executive Director of National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA, Janet Bradshaw, Political Director for IBEW Local 58, Jason Paul Tier, Senior Vice President of Community and Economic Development for Fifth Third Bank. Thanks for being on the show. And this has been Michigan. 
powering Michigan's future. It's live from the 2022 Michigan Mackinac Policy Conference on beautiful Mackinac Island. I'm Lloyd Jackson. Keep it right here on News Talk 760 WJR.